0: all
1: right this is behind the dm screen it is october of 2019 we are three dms helping each other out and talking about our games but not necessarily in that order uh i am i am jeff i am joined as always by sam say hi sam hi and mike yo so uh oh i don't have my timer let me get my timer out um i guess we can get started but sam you're up first and i guess you're gonna get a few extra seconds while i get my timer going
0: awesome so i am i am uh still running my uh my game for my dnd brief uh stream which i had technical issues with my stream last time so we didn't actually stream it but we did record an episode so i'm really recording those for a podcast anyway but anyway so ah, that's not even the game so here's the thing my my group finally got back to traston finn the the major city that they've been in for uh, that they started in and as they were sort of they they got back and they had this humongous crab uh, with them that they had captured, they captured like the enormous, gi- gigantic, you know, king crab thing. Yeah, I remember there being. Them.
1: I remember there being some discussion about how to get it back, whether to like drag it along in the water, like bait, or or, or hang it off yeah, the yeah, side, so or they, what.
0: They 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 put it in a big net and they hung it off of the uh, off of the boat, and then the sorcerer cast like I don't know some I don't know, some kind of water or ice spell or something yeah. every like three hours or something to keep it preserved. And they they brought it back to Traston Finn, and they presented it to Olgrat, the the dock watch officer, the the sort of grumpy dwarf guy who was giving them a hard time. and he told them if they if they brought back the the king crab from that distant island that he would uh, waive all of their fees and he would he would consider their their account up to date and so the way that they gave the crab back to him was they they had them and all their men hauled it off of the ship and they put it right in front of his door and then they knocked on the door and when he opened <laughs> it there's this enormous crab face and he and he fell back on his butt and said what in the nine hells and so he uh So he got that, but now he's making an enormous pot of crab stew with it. So, uh, and, and while he was doing that, they, uh, the, some of the sailors from the ship, uh, they went off to the, um, to the tavern and they were telling everybody in the tavern, Oh, well, here's what we did. We just went and we had this big, you know, we got this big crab and did all these things and they're telling all of these, you know, big fish tales basically. And, uh. And, uh, and so that happened. And uh, then while they were doing that, uh, a couple of the party members went to, the, to, the, uh, to the, the, one of the owners of the tavern there. Her name is Taruma. She was in the back preparing food. And uh, they went back to ask her a question, and Olgrat was back there. He was having her help him you know, cut up the, the big, giant, enormous crab. And they asked a question about, they asked Taruma a question and it turns out, uh, Olgrat knew the answer to it cause it was a lore question about, it turns out it was about dwarves and they didn't know it was about dwarves. Otherwise they probably would have asked him to begin with. But so they got, they got this really, uh, interesting lore dump that I was unprepared for, um, when they, they started asking questions and I was like, oh, I didn't realize you're going to ask about that. And then I had to like do the, the, the DM scramble and, mm-hmm. uh look through my notes and make sure that I didn't say anything that would be, you know, horribly, (laughs) uh, contradictive later, you know? Um, but it was, it's great fun. That game is really a lot of fun, but here's what happened at the end of the last session. And here's what I need help with. And then I, and then I have another question if we end up not, not running out my time on this at the end of the last session, they went back down to the, they made sure that their sailors didn't try to sneak anybody onto the ship to see the crab guy. They took the the crab guy, Lucanius. They, they got him Mm. into the, without anybody seeing that was like he
1: was like a a prisoner from the the big fight with the the cultist or whatever
0: yeah but when they when they sort of started talking to him they found out that he you know they kind of realized he once used to be a human and something happened to him that started making him turn into a crab so they are trying to they, they they're thinking it's a curse of some sort and so they wanted to get him to the temple to try to you know get a cure if they could if they could get any cure for him um and so, uh, so they had to tell their crew members, you know, quit talking about him. Talk about anything else you want, but don't talk about him and don't show anybody uh, him because they didn't want word to get around. Um, when they took him to the temple, then they learned from the priest because uh, they said his name to the priest, and the priest knows Lucanius. So there was some, some little interesting thing there. But uh, – so they went back to the dock, and they were getting ready to uh, – to, they wanted to go ask a question or something and uh since olgrat was in the tavern preparing his big crab they had the assistant dock watch officer down at the other you know at the at the station and they were going to go get some paperwork or something and he's uh, much less um he is a little bit more inept <laughs> to put it lightly uh and he they asked him some questions and he started telling them about all the boats that have docked, you know, that are at the dock. And one of the boats was uh, this boat that registered as the swan tail, but it looked a little suspicious for some reason to the group. And so they started looking into it and um, the lutrinian, which is an otter folk, the lutrinian sorcerer um, in the party, realized that that looks like the ship, the ship that's docked there that they've registered as the swan tail looks like the ship that, uh commandeered her ship sank sank her ship attacked her crew uh before before the session started that's part of her backstory so they decided to go down and try to figure out if, if it really is uh and what's happening there so they go down there and they they notice that uh the ship is obviously the ship they think uh the the familiar of of the sea elf he's got a little uh, the octopus octopus uh familiar he starts going crazy he just starts going crazy when he gets close to the ship and the uh they notice that the there's some tarps over where the name would normally be posted and the the uh the front uh the front of the ship has been altered a little bit so that you can't see what's really supposed to be there so obviously it's not the swan tail obviously it must be the ship that attacked uh the pirate ship that attacked her so they decide they're going to go on the ship and so they climb up, uh, the, the bard and the, and the warlock climb up the, the plank and they sneak onto the ship. And then that's where we ended the session. And one of the pieces of information that they had gotten was that this ship has been going around? It's a uh, it's it's a known pirate clan that is doing this, and they have this sort of a green uh, blue-skinned goblins that have that are that are and half crab men that are that are running this this pirate vessel, uh, this pirate fleet, and they have been downing ships and taking the most uh, wealthy or the most uh, valuable goods off of them, and um, so. Basically, they're going to find if if they go into the ship further, they're going to find a hold with a bunch of uh, different, you know, implements and and magical things and things that they took off of things that they stole, you know, through their piracy. So here's my question: here's what I need help with. What are some really really cool things that they should find on that ship? I mean, I have a couple of things that are related to their backstories that are cool, but I also want to just give them some sort of you know superfluous rewards they they haven't had a lot of treasure so far they haven't had you know any magic items or anything so i want to give them some really cool stuff and i and i want it to be flavorful but not necessary. i mean they they're going to get a couple things related to the lore and everything but what's just i mean if you were if you found a pirate ship and you found a way on it and you found a hold with a bunch of stolen goods what awesome thing would you like to find i'm a i'm a huge fan of magical relics Magical relics. Yeah, like,
2: you know, Numenera-style ciphers. Weird, so weird artifacts that they found, and there's ways to generate random ones that are always kind of interesting, mm-hmm. um, that have, like, a really powerful single-use effect. hmm
0: okay.
3: And I, the, I
2: th- the cool I, bit about those is they'll kind of hoard them, and they, it, you know, it's cool to have a game-breaking effect that works once. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so I I love rewarding stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I I stole that idea from I think you suggested it to me previously on my last campaign when we were doing the post apocalyptic fantasy Earth and they found they were in an old warehouse or whatever the ruins of an old warehouse and they found you know a bunch of movie props and and you know some of them were special effects like cloaks that would work uh, granting you invisibility but only for one minute before it shorted out and and failed you know right Uh, right you know stuff like that um but your, so yeah i mean single use items like that could be fun and and this your world your setting is similar in that it's a post-apocalyptic world it's just not mm-hmm. fantasy earth right and and right. the apocalypse wasn't a high technology right. situation but are there some relics that they could have stolen that are reminiscent of of the the previous incarnation of the setting
0: yeah I mean, that's the thing is that it's kind of wide open. I, there are a couple things that are gonna definitely be on the ship that are like the the um the saber that the captain of of Marcel's ship, Marcel's the lutrinian, their ship, the captain used to have this really nice sort of ceremonial saber, and that that was that's on the ship, right? That's how they. That's how they. Know, that's how they're going to really know that it, it really is the ship, um, but that's kind of lore-based and kind of based on the background and whatnot. But I have just like it's wide open. I could literally throw anything in here, so I. I want to. I want to. Like, it's almost a go big or go home moment, right? Like, like here's my chance. I could give them literally anything. So, because they have no expectations of what's on there.
1: I. I... When you say that, like, my first thought is something that would be fun and fitting for a campaign like this, but maybe not the direction you want to go. It would be like an apparatus of qualsh, right?
3: Oh, yeah.
1: Um, There's just one of those sitting down in the the hold. And then the other part of me says, but that could be – that could dramatically change the nature of adventures if they can, you know, Mm -hmm. hop in a a submersible or whatever. Um, Right. So then I go to what if you had something similar with like a a series of weird and zany abilities, but it was like the pipe organ from Goonies, you know? (laughs) So they could have it. They could install it on their ship, but they can't take it with them onto the islands or wherever they're going to explore because it's not mobile, you know?
2: Yeah, that's a cool idea.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: I got so a the cool idea is, from
1: Mike. Yes. Yeah.
0: The, the, <laughs> the, 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 thing, the thing about um, the Apparatus of Qualish, the thing that's interesting is I could do something similar, mm-hmm. but, the, but because they don't know very much about how this world is structured now, now ap- after the sinking, it could literally transport them somewhere and they have no idea where they are, and then they have to find their mm-hmm. way out and back mm-hmm. to somewhere. So do I give them something like that that will – actually change everything about how they travel around or do I give them something that they could install on their ship that's going to that's going to be different in terms of how it how it affects what they're doing well you know and, I mean? and and that
1: comes down to the nature of sort of where you see the the course of the campaign going like so far it feels like you've set it up to be a seafaring you know run a boat and an adventure along the way sort of campaign
3: yeah if
1: yeah. if something that allows them to abandon the boat that i mean that would change the very nature of of the campaign and i don't know if that's the direction you want to go um, yeah not
0: necessarily but yeah, but no, no. i but i don't mind like giving them something that would allow them also a different mode of transportation mm-hmm. Right.
1: You no, know, but that's the that's the, it's the uh, it's the shuttle on the Enterprise, right? Right. They can take it on away missions yeah. <laughs> while the right, ship right. is docked yeah, yeah. out to sea.
0: Yeah. 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 That's that's good. That's a good one. What about smaller items?
1: Um, what's the book? Uh, was it Xanathar's Guide that has all the like? Um minor magic yeah. item things on it yeah yeah, yeah. i think of I th- billowing and whatnot yeah i think i would lean heavily into that only only um rather than have a, a random hodgepodge of stuff it would be like the pirates hijacked a shipment of like you know 15 of the same thing
0: you know <laughs> yes, that's, that's 15 true, yeah.
1: cloaks of billowing okay what do we do with that you know
0: <laughs> nice yeah cool cool okay yeah does that give you some ideas? Yeah. Ha- what do you think about... Uh, do you think that... Um, they should find prisoners? Sure.
1: Would the pirates have prisoners, and would they keep them?
0: Yeah, I mean, I yeah, maybe. I don't know. They might. I'm just... I'm like... I, I, I know that some people uh, like the sort of rescue operation mm-hmm. style of of situation and some people really don't
1: so then i follow up with do you need uh a macguffin to get them to go to any particular areas
0: no i mean they're already they already have like already internal have it. Motivations because
1: it, you could always have purpose. i mean if, if if pirates have prisoners the the purpose is probably ransom Right. So, if they freed oh, a bunch yes. of prisoners, they could suddenly be like, hey, we've got these five prisoners we freed, and now they all need to go home, you know, and, and maybe we'll get a reward because they didn't have to pay their ransom, or whatever. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, it could also be something like rare prisoner, like, you know, there are not a lot of uh, minotaurs in this setting. The only reason that there are minotaurs there are because they're actually Feywild creatures, and there was a group that noticed that there was something about to happen, and they left their Feywild kingdom, basically, and, and went through a gate to get to the, to the common plane, the common plateau, the mortal plane. And while they were there, that's right when the sinking happened, and it closed all the gates, and they can't get back to their home realm. And so they're in a ship, and they're kind of traveling around, and there just aren't very many of them. But if there was a, a minotaur on the ship...
1: Then you could, and then that introduces some potential lore as well.
0: Yeah. So my other my other game is uh, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna be running an Edge of the Empire game again. I had stopped running one because uh, I started playing in one, and now I'm gonna start running one again. And this this set of players. they want to play in the era that is right after Order sixty six, which was the you know Palpatine's order to get rid of the Jedi, and so a couple years after that, and one of them is force sensitive. So, so I, here's my thing, right? Do I let them sort of start out easy and sort of meet each other and and get to know each other and ha- have a little bit of a grift and, and make some money or something, or do I come at them hard and just have like the empire on their tail the whole time? What's the is the meta plot them versus the empire? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's it, it, it's it's you know the majority of them are kind of like oh let's just stay out of the empire's way because they're they're jerks or whatever. Um, but then they have this force sensitive person. And so the part of the group might not even know that they're Force-sensitive at first. You know. Sure. My
1: temptation would be have them start with the Empire, but have it be like a minor skirmish, just sort of an in-media res beginning to the campaign. You know, uh, a little thing with the Empire, but the Empire maybe – or those, that contingent doesn't realize what they have. Yeah. Uh, and then go on to give – them, give them a chance to do a heist or what have you. And then bring the Empire back. So you've introduced, you know, if the the meta arc is going to be about the Empire, it kind of makes sense in my head to to book into the story with the Empire. But not even realizing at first that the Empire was going to be the main thing. It's just, oh, well, it's Star Wars. Of course the Empire is the bad guy. And now we go on to this other thing. Wait a minute. Empire, you know?
0: Yeah, I was worried it was too cliche.
1: You know what I mean? But, uh, I think it's okay to lean on on what I'm going to call archetypes in terms of story uh, for yeah. for role playing games, um, oh,
2: especially for Star Wars. Oh like yeah, it, you know it is a cliche. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: In so a good I, way, I'd lean into the cliches. Awesome. All cool. right. Thanks. Yeah, that is past your time. Uh, so before we go on to the next person, uh, I want to mention our sponsor, Skull Splitter Dice. If you go to skullsplitterdice.com slash tomeshow, you will get a a page with a selection of all sorts of dice and then access to the whole store, but you'll also see there a coupon code, and in case you forget me telling you that the coupon code is also Tome Show, all lowercase (laughs) letters, uh, it gets you 15% off your order. They've got metal dice, they've got um, these cool little geeky uh, themed dice. I've got a set that looks like, you know, rusted metal, and I've got a set that looks like uh, a bone and all these other things And um, they're pretty cool So go check them out Skullsplitterdice.com slash tomeshow
3: Look mate Three generations ago my ancestors Forged the Great Blade Skullsplitter With it They won the Goblin Wars, the Hobgoblin Wars The Orc Wars, the Demon Wars The Elf Wars and the Gelatinous Cube Wars And that one doesn't even make sense Because they don't have skulls Now All these years later, the legend of the Great Skull Splitter grows. Offering dice to help you create your own legends, Skull Splitter Dice makes the highest quality dice beautiful dice of both plastic and metal. Want to roll bones that look like bones? Or just something with enough heft to split the skulls of your enemies? Skull Splitter Dice has that and more. Check them out now at skullsplitterdice.com slash tomeshow, and use the coupon code TOMESHOW with all little letters, and get 15% off. Now get out there, split some skulls, and build some legends. Alright, next up
1: on the list is me. So when last we chatted, my Dragon Heist crew, um, while layering in you know the, the beginnings of my Curse of Strahd stuff, um, was getting ready to go into the Margrave Forest, which had appeared outside of Waterdeep, uh, having leaked through from Barovia, that the Margrave Forest in, in my setting was in Barovia off to the... Uh, what
2: is it? Southeast in the direction off the map. Um, I, I I love that you have an entire other campaign to help you bridge between the two campaigns. Oh, <laughs> but I,
1: but that wasn't even the purpose of it. It just worked out that way, uh, and it's working it's working rather well because the Margrave, uh, the Tales of the Old Margrave adventures, all kind of have this because it's it's uh, Press's Midgard setting, which is where Margrave is from. It has this sort of dark fantasy thing going on. Um, it all kind of has this horror element to it.
2: So it's a, it's a good transition.
1: It, it, act, it, 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 it ties in well. And then I stole your idea from um, uh, Grindelroot of this yeah. uh, vampire queen who is the only person who can really speak to the forest, right? The forest is sentient. margrave Forest is sentient. And this vampire queen is the only person who can really talk to the, to the forest. And that actually worked out really well. So they, we were running the adventure called um, Hollow Man. Or it's just called Hollow, but it features this monster
2: called the Hollow Man. I ran it. Dad, have you run it? Yep, I ran it uh, last weekend.
1: Oh, right on. Nice. Uh, so, yeah, so they were playing through that and um, uh, ended up figuring out that, you know, they tracked it um, to the Singing Tree. And the Hollow Man was still there. They hadn't destroyed the Hollow Man yet. So they had to take on the Hollow Man and the Singing Tree simultaneously. And then the Singing Tree <laughs> summons uh, uh, bears. Uh, as well so um they got pretty overwhelmed pretty quickly but they were holding out okay like we i went through most of that fight like i'm not sure if they're gonna make it or not um and then it turned out i'm pretty sure i was gonna tpk him because i had everybody on the ground except for one person and she had two hit points (laughs) (laughs) And both the hollow man and the Singing tree were still up and chasing her, uh, into into the forest. Uh, but I had noted a, a round or two before that, that there was this strange woman in red, um, watching from the edge of the forest, from the edge of the trees. And then when she went running away on one of her turns, I had her like, you know, she's running and shooting. So she wasn't really paying attention to where she was going. And she just sort of ran straight into this woman who offered her a deal uh, are you willing to make the sacrifice necessary to have a chance at this uh, at this win? Right, um, and she said, "Sure." I mean, at this point, it's that or or we die. And so I I basically I permanently drained one of her two hit points away that can't be healed, mm-hmm. and then gave all of the the fallen PCs one d six hit points. So not much. They all got up with two hit points or whatever, but it was enough for them to take out the hollow man. And then the singing tree is really slow. It only moves 10 feet and they had already destroyed all of the, the heads. So it didn't have any ranged abilities. So they just sort of kept a distance and it, and we called it, you know, no point in playing out that fight. Uh, and so meanwhile, they have this, now they've got this introduction to the queen, uh, the vampire queen. Uh, they've got this introduction to the, the margrave. They, I, I they all really enjoyed, uh, like, as much as it was like almost a TPK, you know, they seemed to really have fun and enjoy all of that. Um, and, and one of the PCs had actually already completely died, was dead, dead, not just unconscious. And I went ahead and allowed him to come back to life as well. But I switched his race and I pulled out Kobold Press's uh, Heroes Handbook and I made him a dampier.
2: Oh cool.
1: Right? Uh and so and before that he was a changeling and he's like, Hey guys, I can't like change my form anymore. I'm stuck in this form. What's going on? Oh, what are these fangs? You know? Yeah. Uh so it's been a whole uh discovery for them as well. And they're like, We don't know what's happening or what, where, where this vampire, like she was obviously a vampire at one point and we don't know where she came from and what's going on. And, um, it was all, it all went really well. Um, the one thing that I kind of regret with that, um, running that adventure is I didn't feel like I had a good, strong sense of the NPCs in the village. Um, and so they all came off a little cooker, cookie cutter, except for the like one or two people that I made up personalities for. Um, so I feel like I could have done a better job, but they weren't there very long, and I don't expect that they'll be going back anytime soon. So, uh, what was your experience with the NPCs in the village? You, you just uh, yeah,
2: about the same. They 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 felt a lot like village yokels. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't really. I, I didn't. I didn't have a good. Um, yeah, the the whole thing of like trying to get them on your side and and whatnot didn't work out real well
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, because they. Um, Uh, They just kind of like they they sort of failed those initial checks and it ended up not mattering too much. And they were convinced that like the the villagers, I kind of added in a whole plot that the villagers had killed a witch. They were they were used to burning witches Mm -hmm. for any any number of things that, you know, birthmarks and whatnot. And then they actually burned a witch and she cursed them. And that's why the that's why that whole thing happened. Uh Okay, so that way there was like a reason for, you know, it, it didn't feel like in the adventure there was a very clear reason. Right. Well, why, yeah, sure. You know, what the, did the village deserve the the hollow coming?
1: Well, the 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 hollow man wasn't specifically targeting the village. He just needed it. Just needed heads, and that was the closest know, place like, for heads. I know why those people. <laughs> right. No, he,
2: he was very specific about which heads he took. Right. And and it wasn't clear to me why. So I was like, yeah. you know, this might work better if there's like they. These were the two guys that were cursed by or the the three people that were the cursed, were cursed by, by the witch. The witch. No, yeah, they... that
1: makes sense. That's that works. My my reasoning was um, it was the singing tree had woken up and the hollow man was created as a result of the transition from Barovia to uh, yeah. to the the, mm. the prime world and it sort of woke up this ancient tree that was trying to get back to its its you know, normal power level. And then the queen thing works out really well cuz like that queen was totally one of the, you know, the vampire queen of the Margrave Forest under the auspices of, of Lord Strahd, right? Um, and and they, they talking to the villagers actually gave them an opportunity. They're like, wait, do you guys know where you are? Yeah, we're in our village. It's Lavoca. We're fine. Uh, and they're like, wait, so when you leave the forest, um, do you ever leave the forest? Oh, yeah, sometimes we trade with the nearby villages. So where do you go Oh, we go we go uh, th- down this path, and it eventually leads us to the village of Barovia, and we trade. So, so they're talking about you know trading with the people, and that'll show up later on. Um, and the the PCs have actually even gotten uh, a map of Barovia. I found somebody had made a, a hand drawn map of Barovia, and I sort of you know took it and aged it and and tore out the edges a little bit and whatever, and and gave them that already. So they already have a map of Barovia, even though they're not going to be there for like you know who knows how long. Yeah, that's cool. So it's all it's all layering in pretty well. Um and then they got back to town and that was the session we just had last week and the session last week in town was a little bit like it was kind of cool but it was also it needed to be broken up, right? It was it was sort of a cleaning cleaning house session. They accomplished a whole bunch of um faction stuff they did a whole bunch of sort of background and character development stuff and there were some really cool uh role-playing moments i'm really proud of the way that i handled though the things in that session more so than i did um in Lavoca, right uh in that like when they were doing certain things i didn't just sort of hand wave it and move on like i sometimes do i think i've been inspired by listening to the podcasts of some streams and things uh where i'm hearing other dms that will like be like well clearly this wasn't something i planned but i'm gonna go into all this depth and detail and give it you know bring the the whole thing to life uh like my paladin character went and joined the order of the gauntlet and um the book just says you know they could be initiated into the order and then they start getting these faction missions and i made the the order of the the, the the initiation into this whole thing and um, you you know they you went back into this tiny little chapel in the back of this huge temple and in that chapel um, you are told to kneel and then they burn this incense and it completely overwhelms your senses and pretty soon you're not able to to see or hear anything um, and then you you hear a voice and it you know tells you what you're willing to do in order to achieve the goals of you know the three gods that are part of the order the gauntlet and the, he gets to sort of declare his intention and whatever and then his vision comes back and he's presented with a singular gauntlet to represent his now initiation into the order Uh, and so so yeah it went really well and i completely made that all up on on the spot because i had no idea they were going to go there that session right Uh, but i figured you know what i've been doing this a long time i could push myself a little more creatively uh, in situations like this normally i don't know that i would have gotten that creative with it but i think i was inspired to to push myself and probably because I didn't push myself during when I ran the hollow, um, mm-hmm. you know, and so I felt like I, I, I could do better. So that way it, it all went really well. They all said they had a lot of fun, but we also all kind of agreed, like it would have been nice to break it up with, with some action somewhere. Um, the one PC who has a faction mission that involves some combat couldn't make it all of a sudden, uh, cause he got home from work that afternoon and his wife had been injured. And so he had to deal with that. Um, and so yeah so just sort of it it ended up being a cleaning up session and, and they're like well you know this is really fun and we got into a lot of character development and background stuff that was really cool and meaningful uh it got to be a little bit of a shopping session as well because um i i have i have a list of uh here's all the specific line item things you need to fix in troll skull manor right so they can yeah. they can decide how to spend their money when uh, to, to get it up to speed and all that kind of stuff. And so um, they did a little bit of that as well and, and what have you. And it all went pretty well. And then I had, um, I had Renair show up, um, Neverember, right?
3: Mm-hmm. For
1: those who know the adventure, he's the, the son of Dagult, Neverember, uh, who's, the, who's the former open lord that hid all of the money that the, the adventure is named after, right? Uh, and so Renair shows up because I wanted Renair to be around... To sort of lay in some groundwork because I was planning on moving on to chapter three soon, um, and and so I wanted him to sort of be there to sort of start hinting at some things that are going to be important as we move the plot forward, right? And so he they were asking him about, hey, what it, we heard rumors about your dad's money. Do you know anything about that? You know, I don't really I don't really know much about that that I'm willing to tell you, but you know, he's got this agent running around in town, this gnome guy. You might go ask him, right? But this gnome guy is the guy who's killed in the fireball that, that starts chapter three. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. and, so, and so they actually did a little bit of asking around for him. And then they, you know, they did their stuff and they called, it a, they called it a night. They went to bed and they woke up early the next morning to the, the windows rattling in the, in the manor as the fireball had exploded. And that's where we ended the session, right? The fireball <laughs> goes off. There's dead bodies laying in the street. We'll pick that up next time, you know? <laughs> so
2: pretty <laughs> <laughs> <Nice. laughs> Great.
1: Yeah, so it worked out really well. Here's my my question, since I have three minutes. Um, particularly, Mike, because you've you've run it. Sam, you haven't run Dragon Heist, have you? Nope. No, but you're enough of an expert DM that you can you can um, jump in here. So it seems to me that the plot, once the fireball hits, the plot kind of picks up pretty quick.
2: Yeah, and it and it gets pretty linear.
1: Yeah. But, and, but at the same time, like, they're presented with all of these faction missions that are level dependent. So while they're going through this fairly linear, straightforward storyline, when do they have time to do the faction missions? I,
2: I skipped them at that point. I you stopped. Just... I, 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 yeah, I, I didn't really, you know, I, I only used a handful of those right. and, and sort of skipped the rest of them.
3: Um, See, my, the the, when they, when the they, things
2: that they had done
3: mm-hmm.
2: uh, in those faction missions, like the people they had met, they might come back. Sure. Uh, as part of the general story. But yeah, I, I kind of let them go at that point.
1: Okay. See, they still have a bunch of faction missions left that they haven't completed. Uh, and, in fact, because the last thing they did before going back to the manor for the night was they went to the Order of the Gauntlet. And they're like, you know, here's your initiation mission to to prove yourself. Okay, fine. Anything else you need us to do? So so I'm like, well, I have all these other faction missions that I pulled from other adventures. Sure, here's another mission you can do for us. And, in fact, one of them that they've got, uh, one one of the faction missions they got from the Order of the Gauntlet was, uh, is the haunted house from Sinister Secrets of Saltmarsh. Uh, uh, and the other <laughs> faction mission is the, what is it, the Cult of Dusk from uh, your, Fantasy, or your Fantastic Adventures.
2: Yeah.
0: So those the are the two. Here, here's yeah. my question. Yeah. How excited are they about the faction missions? I think, they, I think
1: they're really enjoying sort of the faction thing and, and doing these little side quests and whatever. I also feel like we're, we're all kind of ready to see an actual story happen. Right? Because a lot of Chapter 2 is just doing these faction missions, and there's no real story happening here.
0: Yeah.
3: So, so I think so it I was th- time think, to do the I Fireball. I think
0: that's your answer then, right? I think, I think your answer is, uh, you know, background those, those faction missions. If, if something happens and they start to sort of veer off in a direction that doesn't really suit... Uh, the story, or or isn't going to get them where they think it's going to get them. You can always use the the factions as a lever to sort mm-hmm. of, you know, you know, have a contact, you know, talk to them, and you know, mm-hmm. use that part of the faction as as a way to sort of hew them to the right path. Well, and ultimately, um, if, I think if they if they care about the factions,
1: yeah, and I think I think having the faction missions still happening while mm-hmm. they're also following this larger meta thread. Um, makes it well, could theoretically make it less linear too, right? Because yeah. because the way I've I've finally decided this last session I, a system that works well is that I just started putting all the faction missions like a quick summary of all of them on index cards and then handing them out to them and then when they finish on it we write over the top of it that it's done it's completed so they because there's a lot of threads right what do you what are we working on what are we not working on what have we done what have we not done right so now they have a way of tracking that. So if I just start putting the main plot on index cards, then it's suddenly not the only thing to do. They have a library, you know, of different index cards to look at to figure out what it is they want to do. So, yeah, I'm curious yeah. to see how it'll go. Um, but it's certainly a thing that I noticed um, in preparation for running the adventure that I don't know that I caught the first time that. Um, once the larger meta plot starts, the faction met, the faction quests kind of lose their thread, and there's I mean, the villain thing kind of loses uh, a connection too. Like I'm playing with the Castle Anters, Um but like they could play the entire adventure beginning to end and never deal with the the whole Castellanter plot um, outside right. outside of what, them showing up at the end to try to get the the money. But um, I've been trying I to I mean the good, feed the, that the in the good thing on. about
0: this. sorry the the good thing about this right is that like part of what it's doing even if they don't complete any more faction tasks like part of what it's doing is making sure that the world seems alive right like there there are other people doing other things and needing other jobs done while they're sort of going about their business Mm -hmm. you know while the party is going about their business so that's part of it partly it's already done its job right because they understand that that there are these other that's powerful people, yeah. There's, there's other stuff happening, and even if they end up going off on this sort of more linear, you know, path, which they may or may not see as linear, depending on you know how it comes out, you know, right. that they'll still, they're still going to appreciate the fact that okay, but yeah, but there's these other forces in town in Waterdeep that we mm. are beholden to or that we've made agreements with, and they may or may not get back to them, but that's kind of beside the point at, right. by that time. You know what I mean?
1: That's true. Yeah, and I actually – I think, Mike, you had mentioned early on when I talked about uh, bringing these two adventures together, Dragon Heist and Curse of Strahd, is that Dragon Heist really emphasizes the importance of the factions and that it might be disappointing to go to Curse of Strahd where suddenly it doesn't matter. So I've been using –
2: It was was more – yeah, I think my my bigger issue was that the characters would be – the, the the build of the characters wouldn't fit the theme of the adventure later on. Oh, sure. Yeah, it'd be like
0: fit. Be like a fish out of water rather than a yeah. Of, well, yeah, like you know, like well, the well prepared. Would, you know, yeah.
2: Designed city investigators. Right, right, right.
1: No, but but there was also some. Maybe it wasn't you, but it might have been somebody on Twitter or something. But somebody also brought up this idea of you know why build up the factions and then just take them away five levels in, uh, and so I've yeah. sort of been laying the groundwork as well that some of the. You know, that the, the, the mists have the mists occasionally go through water deep, and sometimes also coincidentally, people go missing. Uh, and and so I've started, purely coincidentally, right? Purely, I've, sta- I've started laying yes. the groundwork. Well, because the the mist could just be the fog rolling in from the harbor, right? Um, right. so I've been but I've been laying the groundwork that some of the people that have gone missing are members of the factions, and sometimes contacts and, and uh, NPCs that are important in the backstory of some of the characters. Uh, with the idea that, you know, the factions can still matter once they get to, to Barovia because, um, you know, this NPC mentor of yours who's part of the faction is still there or is there waiting for you. Um, so anyway, yeah, it'll be fun. I actually had I, – I, I made one of the walking statues disappear in the mist this last session. So now kind of like, <laughs> wait a minute, what? What? How does wow, this whole statue disappear?
2: Oh, you know, it'd be kind of cool. Yeah, That's and it, so it'll – When
0: he shows up. And it'll be sitting in Barovia,
2: right? Well, but one, so one of the interesting, I don't know how you, you, you can, you know, figure this out, but um, there's that doorway in Barovia, uh, that first gate that you step that through, gate. and it's got two huge ruined statues. Oh. So what if the statue's on the other side and it's destroyed?
3: Yeah, that'd be cool.
2: Like, it's heads missing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And you don't know why. Like, what the hell did that?
1: Yeah, that'll be fun. I look forward to that now. I have, like, three levels to, before <laughs> I have to worry about it. But, yeah, <laughs> that'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I've I've gone way over my time. Um more so than Sam even did and he talked about a whole yeah, campaign sorry. after his time ended. So. <laughs> Um, I wanna I wanna quickly mention to people that as much as you can uh sp- support us by going to our sponsor, SkullsplitterDice.com slash tomeshow, uh, and we would definitely appreciate that. You can also support the show uh directly by going to patreon.com slash the tome show and uh and joining the lovely group of patrons there um, that I go to for conversation and advice and things every now and then. Uh you can also, of course, support us through our affiliate links available at the tomeshow.com that sends you to Amazon or DMs Guild and and we get a a cut of that, and I share that those proceeds with uh, our lovely contributors. So, Mike, yo, you, you've been you've been forced to wait until the very very end. That's all right. Uh,
2: and but the time is yours now. Go. Awesome. So I am running two different Ghosts of Saltmarsh campaigns, and um, as I, I tend to do this right when I run my games, I tend to run. The same one for both groups. Right. You, and, you
1: running two of the same thing is sort of like me running this, multiple right. things once, right? right. <laughs> Except one of those make
2: one of those makes sense. Uh-huh. But, <laughs> I agree. Um, Ouch. Sing. <laughs> so, um, although there's a good argument, like why would you want to do that? Wouldn't that get boring? You would like retreading the same ground. And what I find really interesting about doing it is how they diverge. And oh, yeah. boy, are my salt have my salt marsh games diverged. Um, so in one of them, in my Sunday game, uh, I don't, did I talk about the vampire? Have we already talked did, about it? Yeah. I'm going to hear
1: that played out.
2: Yeah. So the, the, so the Sunday group released the vampire and then went off. And I think like where, where, where we kind of ended in our last conversation, they said, Hey, we released a vampire into the town, but we're going to go and talk to the lizard folk and we'll just see what the town looks like when we get back. And <laughs> You know, and I was worried because the group was sort of split about what to do about it. One mm-hmm. of the char- one of the players was playing his character as though like you guys have made a lethal mistake. And if anybody dies because of the vampire, you should be the first. And it was very not quite like I'm going to murder you, but, you know, pretty close. So I'm like, oh, we'll see how that plays out. So I, I, I was thinking about like, well, what would happen while they're gone? And what would this vampire do? And I think a fun. So they come back. And they're they're talking to folks and they're mentioning to the council like we think there's a vampire and the council's like yeah we're keeping an eye out for it and we have this new um, interrogator who came in from uh, King Scotty from from the Kieland the the, the Kingdom mm-hmm. and she's going to be interrogating people to figure out where the vampire is and by the way she wants to talk to you. So so they go and they talk to her. She she says, meet me tonight at my place or like her. She sends like guards and she's like, come to my place and meet me here. And we're going to talk about what's going on tonight. And then the uh, wizard said, hey, uh, I'd like you to come to my tower tonight around the same time. So the, that way they're like, well, who do we go to? Do we go to the interrogator or the wizard? And they decided, let's go to the interrogator first. They talk to the interrogator and she's grilling him about like, first of all, you murdered my pet. Is that right? And like, yeah, we're sorry. And she's like, all right. Um, And, you know, who released this vampire and how? And then they kind of said, well, you know, they didn't they sort of downplayed it. And she said, like, well, we're going to we're going to get to the bottom of this. Like, we're going to figure out exactly what you guys did here. And I don't trust you. And I, you know, I don't I don't. This town is full of spies and it's full of like former pirate slavers and all kinds of stuff. And I'm going to get to the bottom of all this. So like, wow. And this is the one who they saved. This was the first victim of the (laughs) vampire who they resurrected. You know, so it's kind of fun that she's like the antagonist. So um, so then they go to the wizard and this is the wizard who was like, hey, be real careful with that vampire. You do not want to release him. And they're like, OK, so you know, that was the wizard one. So they go to the wizard and he's sitting there in his thing laughing and that chair turns around and there's the vampire with the wizard. And they're like, oh, my God, he's right here. You know, and the vampire's like, yeah, we've become very fast friends, you know, and, I, you know, I wanted to talk to you. And, I was, and so he was like, look, here's the situation. Like a dude's got to eat. Right. Like I'm, I, I am what I am. But how do we come to an agreement between you guys and me so that we don't have to come to terms like you saved me? I was stuck in that cell and it sucked. And I will not forget the fact that you guys willingly took me out like I didn't even have to charm you. You just did it. So since you did that, why don't we figure out how we can both coexist? And I like it here and I don't want to take over Saltmarsh. And by the way, I'll give you some information right away. Let me tell you about the Scarlet Brotherhood, right? And then he proceeds to give them a lot of information about the fact that there's this this group that's in town. There's a third faction. They're working against both of the other factions. They, They wear masks. They have names based on the masks that they wear, so they don't really know who's who, you know, and they're dangerous. And they probably have compromised at least, you know, one member of the council, maybe more. And he's like... Now, what would you do when you have this like secret cult? I don't know, maybe ask your vampire friend to start charming people and find out who the cultists are. (laughs) Right, like I can do that for you. In return, I gotta eat, right? And I'm not gonna just grab like, you know, young children off the street and devour them on spits. Like I'll go after bad people, right? I'll make sure, and they're like, well, who defines that? And he's like, I guess you're gonna have to trust me, you know, but I won't kill salt marsh people. I'll only kill bad bandit type folks.
0: Is, is your vampire named Dexter? Yeah, right. He, he, the perfect archetype,
2: right? Yeah. Like he's the Dexter of vampires. He's kind of like a little bit, not even like, like Dexter is kind of doing it on his own. This guy's right. doing it just like, I would rather not, you know, I, I would rather not uh, uh, come to blows with the very people who saved me. How does right. the party feel about like bringing him prisoners? Well, they're still, oh, they they talked a little bit about it. Like, they like, hey, we could bring some Sahu again. And he's like, I don't want to eat Sahu again. And then they're like, you know, well, what about other bad guys, you know? And, like, they're Mike Baby. But the other guy's like, no, we're not, you know, enabling this guy, right? Like, we're not, right. you know, no, I don't care. And he's <laughs> like, how many people have you killed? Like, you killed a whole, you know, a whole ruin full of smugglers. And they all laid there, blood pouring out of them all to waste right just spilling out on the ground nobody get a benefit from that in this case like i could have benefited from this so they they kind of they they agree in, in the case of the one guy who's sort of against it all he's like well i'm not making any guarantee that we're not coming to blows but you know i'm not going to come after you right now and he's like okay i guess that'll have to do and so then they walk out and then i broke the fourth wall by having after the characters left he, you know, the, the vampire turns to the wizard and says, so what do you think? And he goes, I don't know. We'll see how it goes. And then he turns to a shadow in the corner and says, what do you think? And the interrogator steps out with her fangs out and says, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. You know, I don't think that's going to work out very well. <laughs> and the players are, wait a minute, you just came away. And I'm like, I know. Like, you know that it's her, but the characters don't. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's like it's a total bad spot. For fun. I just thought it'd be fun that like they, the, the players know that, that it's up because they're going to figure it out anyway. So sure, I'm, instead of have it be a surprise, I'll do like the Stephen King thing of, you know, that was the last time they ever saw him alive. Right. You know, <laughs> as, King, as King often does in his books. So so that one is going that direction. And what's really interesting is this like perpendicular angle against the Scarlet Brotherhood where like. If the whole main storyline is that Anders Solmar is being worked over by the leader of the Scarlet Brotherhood in Saltmarsh, right? They're going to figure that out in like two questions, right? Like, they, if they say, "Yeah, we want you to find out more about the Scarlet Brotherhood," he's like, "Okay, I'll go. I'll go find some stuff out." He's going to like, "Oh yeah, so here's what I found out," right? And and then, you know, if 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 sort of word gets out, then. The guy, Wave uh, Wavechaser, who's the actual Scarlet Brotherhood main guy, he's gonna like leave. He's like, I'm out. Like, I'm not. You know, he's he's a really smart guy, and if he thinks his cover's gonna get blown, he's gonna grab his go bag and out he goes. Right, and he'll have to manipulate Saltmarsh some other way, you know. Because so they're gonna find out, like, oh man, it was the butler of you know Saltmarsh. So I think that that's a fun way for the surprise to kind of break out. Then the question is like how does that steer into the characters going on adventures? Yeah. So, right? like, so,
3: so what happens to the rest of the
1: campaign?
2: <laughs> right. It's four more adventures. And, uh, um, I, I, so one interesting thing that I've, that I've done in both my groups is that, um, I've, I've re-skinned a lot of the adventures that are in there to fit this storyline that's going on. So in the case of the emperor of the waves, the, the uh, salvage operation, which is the third adventure, I think, mm-hmm. um, that it, you know, it the whole story is the the party hears about a derelict ship and they hear that there's something really valuable in a crate. So you can make that whatever you want, right? And in my case, you know, what was in the crate was um, is evidence that uh, Ida Oland, who's the oldest member of the Saltmarsh Council, was actually a slaver and gave up Saltmarsh fishermen to the pirates. Now, the reason she did that is to save salt from getting taken over by the pirates, right? It was like she she saw it as the lesser evil, like you know, do I pick these people that I know are a bunch of jerks and make them slaves, or do I make the whole city a slave, you know, slaves? And so she made that choice, but it's still she'd still, you know, probably get executed for it. Um so that evidence is out there on the Emperor of the Waves, because the Emperor of the Waves was this like false, false ship that has information on it. Now the other angle I'm throwing in there is a lot of a lot of Tharsadun chain god stuff. So the people who are left on the Emperor of the Waves are actually connected to Tharza And there's a bridge between the Scarlet Brotherhood and the cultists of the Elemental, Elder Elemental Eye, which is Mr. Dory, who's like this main character in the Seventh Adventure. You know, he is both, a member in my, in my version, he's both a member of the Scarlet Brotherhood and a cultist of Tharza So he's sort of bridging between these two major evil factions, which means you have this, like, you know, super smart spy... You know, manipulation group that doesn't really have a lot of supernatural stuff, and then you have cultists of Tharzadun who have lots of supernatural stuff.
1: So um, here's my number one question: Tharzadun? Yeah. I've <laughs> al- I've always said Tharzadun.
2: Oh whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, grow and grow and get and jif.
1: I think you've you've moved the eye to a different side of the Z. Tharz
2: <laughs> Tharzadun. Tharzadun, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> Tharzadun.
2: Tara's Dune. Okay, got it. Sorry, didn't mean to. You know, <laughs> well,
3: no. my,
2: pronounce Fantasy it names, whatever.
3: <laughs>
2: About the placement of an eye. Who is too many continents in a row. So <laughs> um, yeah, so that you know, it, it's it's also like I haven't really run. I've run Princes of the Apocalypse, mm-hmm. which has a little bit of that, but I've never really run a campaign where Thar's Dune is really the you know main sort of villain, you know, or, or main you know, the cultus of that. And that means like the black whale and the, um, there's this place under the ocean called the endless, the deer that I think comes into place in adventure six. Okay. And all of that can be tied to Thar's dune. So right? what's,
1: what's the, what's the meta arc then? Cause the, I mean, th- Thar's Dunes primary arc is that he's imprisoned and his cultists are like you know trying to break yeah, him trying out or whatever to out to break him out. yeah yeah so so, so there are cult like does the scarlet brotherhood are they working for for him trying yeah. to break
2: him out or remember- what has bridged the two but the scarlet brotherhood might not even know that that's going on so for all i know the scarlet brotherhood will say okay hey we screwed up and we need your help <laughs> well and that, one of our that's evil.
1: i mean that's right in line with the the larger like elemental evil storyline right is that you have all these elemental cults and they're just working for the elemental cults, cults. I don't. most of them don't know that they're actually working for yeah, yeah i actually time.
2: Uh, so in adventure four is called the abbey on the Isle, and it's a uh, a whole adventure where you're, you go to this Abbey where there's all these like Clara evil clerics, they call them, but they never say what they're connected to. So I made, them. I made them actually elemental cultists that all went there. They were like ally. They were the only elemental cultists that would work with other elemental cultists. And it was because they learned that there's a secret that only all four groups can learn together. And they started diving deep and they, and they touched it. They touched the eye, you know, they, they figured out that there is this thing below and my, Wednesday group just killed the high priest of Thars Dune in the Abbey. And now they're learning about an artifact that the um uh that the cult kept in their crazy ass vaults below that are all trapped and stuff. Uh, and that is going to be a Mesa disruption that also hits dune people. Um so uh I don't think I've ever used a Mesa disruption in any of my campaigns, so it'd be kind of cool to see it. Work. Yeah, I don't think it,
1: I've I don't think I've played with one since Second Edition.
2: Yeah, right, right. So it, it'll be it'll be a fun. I think it'll be a fun artifact. Um, yeah. So I, you know, I don't. I mean, I don't plan too far ahead, right? So like, I don't know how this stuff's going all going to work out. I think there's something interesting about like you want sort of the front half of a campaign to be slowly revealing the the secret that's behind everything, like, right? my my wife who plays in the Wednesday game is like I'm pretty sure we got set up when we were sent to the abbey on the isle right like this is the group that doesn't they know about the scarlet brotherhood now but they don't know who's on it they don't have a vampire ally who's just charming people right so they actually dissected themselves and they know about the masked the masked people that meet and they know that there is this group and they are pretty sure that members of the council are um are compromised in fact they got the evidence that Ida Oland is a slaver and they kept it they didn't reveal it mm. because they're like we're pretty sure somebody sent us out there on this ship that's been lost for 5 years to recover this one piece of evidence because they thought we would expose her so let's not do that and play into their hands right so they kept it but now they also know leavito oland is a slaver what do we do with that right so um yeah so they you know they have now figured out like we we went all the way to this isle and when we got here we were set up they were actually trying to kill us like we were we were specifically sent to an abbey filled with evil clerics with the expectation that we would not make it out alive. You know, because the, 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 the person that sent them there... So they were sent there by Anders Solmar, who's compromised by Skarin Wavechaser, who's the leader of the Scarlet Brotherhood in Saltmarsh. But the group that told the clerics was Mr. Dory, who's this other Scarlet Brotherhood leader, who actually walked to the aisle through the sea. Right and said, "Hey, a group's going to come here, you need to kill them, and then walked back, right, or kind of sailed on a abolith or something so um yeah, so the, the, to me there's like this neat connection between the two, and I don't know how it's going to play out right it's It's that style of fronts in in- in in dungeon world, like I'm just kind of moving this the plots forward and seeing where they go um but yeah it's it's uh the, the question often is when there's like a secret plot going on behind, you sort of want half of your campaign to be uncovering the plot. And then the other half is, is just des- destroying it. Right. Slowly it away. So it's like halfway through this event, maybe around the time they finish with up with the, um, the final enemy. Um, I ignore that. I'm ignoring that. So
1: <laughs> we are, the rest of us did.
2: Yeah. Right. So about the time that they cross over the final enemy, they should have a pretty good idea about the cults and like who, and then start hunting down the cult members. You know, I wanted Mm -hmm. to have like a fun event. Like the one member of the council that is not yet, no one's really figured out is um, uh, Manistrad Copperlocks. She's the dwarf that runs the mining operation. And then so far the Scarlet Brotherhood hasn't figured out, she's got enough political power that killing her won't help. And they don't have any blackmail material on her yet. And they don't know how to control her. But her second in command is a member of the Scarlet Brotherhood known known as the Child, right? And he wears a mask of a child. And he's this real sadistic bastard. And I want to have this scene where, like, the characters realize, like, maybe she's the only one we can trust. So they go to her and they're like, hey, there's this group called the Scarlet Brotherhood. And they're everywhere. And we don't know what's going on. And the guy's like, you're right. We're everywhere. And him and, like, five guys attack him in the middle of the meeting. You know, and they're like, oh, my God. It's like, you know, when you say they're everywhere, I want to pull that, like, James Bond scene, right? Like, you know, when the cult says they're everywhere, you don't expect it's your right-hand guy that you've been with for 20 years, you know? And that's, I totally want to have a scene like that. Well,
1: and part of me wants to, to do the – or would want to do the, the classic dwarven dug-too-deep sort of story. Like maybe, you know, the, 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 the lieutenant who's in the Scarlet Brotherhood of, of the dwarves – um, is is, the guy? is, is, yeah, is maybe the is connection Scar- between the, is Doom? yes, is the connection between <laughs> Therese Dunn and, and, um, and the Scarlet Brotherhood because he dug too deep and, and, you know, ran yeah, into like something touched,
2: that touched an obelisk or something like that. right Yeah. I think, yeah, that might, that might be an interesting way to go. Um, it also might be interesting that he's been like part of the Scarlet Brotherhood for 20 years. You know, yeah. he's this deep sleeper agent that's that's been inside of Manistrad Copperlock's you know side and has been feeding her information that has been, you know, helping the Scarlet Brotherhood out. And she didn't even know it. Like he's been the like, the most subtle of the. Oh no, no the I think th- I
1: think that absolutely is the way to go. But I think um, it is that character who, as the child, is the one who has led the Scarlet Brotherhood. Like cha- has manipulated their agenda. To to line up with Thera's
2: done. Yeah, maybe I think Mister yeah. Dory is kind of fitting that role, right? Okay. This is the so you've got that this is the, happening anyway. Yeah, there's that. That's the guy who's in, and that's because in the adventure, that's sort of what he is, right? He is. I don't know if he's a Scarlet Brotherhood guy, but he certainly is a Thara Thara's guy. Right, right, right. And and what I like about him is the characters are learning about this guy, but they're not even anywhere near him. He's in a whole other city, but right. he's you know he's pulling strings, and they're like, man, sure. we know that there's this guy out there called the. I think they, I forget what they call him. Oh, the Gollum. So it's like, you know, there's a, one of the members is known as the Gollum and we know he's out there and we know that he has crazy-ass powers and is a member of the Scarlet Brotherhood and we think he's in the Sties and we're going to have to go there and hunt him down.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, yeah, so I think I got one of those. Now, but the other one is like, yeah, maybe, maybe the Gollum tells the child, we, we think that there's a place in the mine that you should dig. And then he digs there and he finds a million-year-old Ruined obelisk that's connected to Thera's dune That and may be the larger it,
1: plot. Like, that is is that yeah. that is the artifact oh, that's, that's, uh, that's going to free. Yeah.
2: yeah. Well, it could be that, right, so it could be that the Thera's Dune cultists are using the Scarlet Brotherhood, right. and then the members that aren't turned by Thera's Dune are like, hey, character, you know, player characters, we're sorry about, you know, the assassinations and stuff, but man... <laughs> You know, we want to we want to work with you now. Because Sorry about that
1: time we tried to kill you, but there's something bigger yeah, going on. Yeah, right. <laughs>
2: hey, we'll we'll turn over the golem to you. We know who it is. <laughs> you know, and if you keep me alive, you know, then um and and get me out of here, then I'll tell you where the I'll tell you where the the mm-hmm. true villain is, and we'll and we'll let yeah you know, salt marsh be. So that that could be like you know the fun thing is like getting in the heads of the characters and trying to figure out what they would do given the circumstances. Like I often put myself in scarin's shoes. As a really smart guy, and it's like he knows that things aren't always working his way, and bad luck happens to him as much as it happens to anybody. So he's like, I might have to either kill Anders. There was a moment where I thought he was going to assassinate Anders, mm-hmm. right? Like I thought, like that, that Anders' role was going to get spilled to the characters, and if and if Skarin had a chance to silence him, he would. He'd kill him.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: You know. But I'm like, man, the characters love Anders Solmar. They'd hate to have him killed. Get- <laughs> <laughs> killed because of something they did, and they didn't really know that that was going to happen, or have any real choice to stop it. Right. So it's a tricky, it's a tricky bit, but it's a lot of fun, and I'm, I love the adventures. Like they're, they're, they're fun to run. I love the seafaring stuff. They're not super tightly connected, like like a big full campaign adventure is. But it, it doesn't matter. I'm still having a ball. No,
1: you you've absolutely like created a campaign that doesn't really exist in the adventure or around these adventures, and I think it, it sounds like it's working really well. So.
2: Yeah, I, I would say that like I'm kind of I'm, I'm using every part of it, right? Like I'm squeezing every ounce out of the book. Um, so it's not like I it, it's there are some like I, I kind of feel this way with Margrave that when I was running Margrave and, and the way I'm running um, is I have a group that gets together about once a month. And because it's a bunch of standalone adventures, I figure that's a better way to run a campaign you sure. know, where like each session is a nice four four hour adventure that has a beginning middle and end mm-hmm. and then we move on to the next. um but that that is one where i'm finding it hard to squeeze all of the stuff out of the book because like 50 pages of the book are about adventuring in the Margrave, and then the other 100 pages are these very specific adventures with very specific plot lines that they don't and even attempt hard. to connect to don't, each other that don't, that, right that don't they don't have any attempt to connect to right. with each other and they don't tie into any of the Margrave
1: stuff well and that's where they they play in well for what i'm doing with it because i'm just i'm you know you know and and i'm and i'm doing the same thing with salt marsh i'm i'm ignoring the the salt marsh setting material uh completely and i'm just pulling the individual adventures and you know because you talked about uh the the, what the isle of the abbey um and you talked about the the uh, salvage mission and i'm like a salvage mission yeah that's a brigand
2: darth faction mission now
3: uh, sure, yeah. You know, Brigadars has something so they the want you to
2: thing, get. The one thing that um, Saltmarsh has that I would like to to kind of dig into more. I'm I'm not really into the whole ve- vehicular, you know, mechanics, right. right? Like I just I'm 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 less mechanics focused than I used to be, and I just don't need a bunch of new crazy rules. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really like the encounters at sea and the mysterious islands and the underground locations and stuff mm-hmm. that are in the back of the book. And I, you know, it, one thing I want to do and that I recommend is like reading, you know, con- reading and rereading those sections to have them handy. So then like if the if the if the story takes this left turn, you've got these things that you can drop in the way. Right. Um, because they're I think they're really great. They have these really cool maps. They have really great ways to like throw in different kinds of monsters and, and good descriptions there. They're very much written the way I like. I like locations to be written in a mm-hmm. in a book like this. So, Sweet. yeah, I really dig it.
1: Well, I'm glad you're uh, – this is going to be the one time that we might be running similar adventures much closer to each other than we normally do So, because I've got Saltmarsh stuff going on uh, or at least has been introduced in my campaign already. So I'm not going to be five years behind you like I am with Curse of Strawn. Right.
3: So,
2: right. <laughs> all right. Yeah, and I think yeah. <laughs> ne- next up for me once we kind of get through this is um, I think one group is going to do Descent into Avernus and the other group is going to do Eberron. So right. I will be splitting at that point.
1: Yep. Very good. Only you have to say Avernus.
2: No, I don't. <laughs> Avernus, 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 Avernus. That Tharza sounds like. Tharzadun, Tharzadun, Tharzadun. Tharza Dune.
1: Avernus sounds like the, the full name of, of some guy who, you know, some old guy that lives in your neighborhood and walks around with a cane. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> okay, well, fair enough then. All right. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up at that point then. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for for joining us. I hope you enjoyed the show. And I don't know. That's the end of Behind the DM Screen. Say goodbye, guys. Yep.
2: Bye, Bye, guys. guys.